Welcome to the Talks on Law MCLE podcast. Interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now, for the interview. In a recent executive order, President Biden authorized executive agencies to make use of a specific law, the Defense Production Act. What is the Defense Production Act, and how broad are the powers when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic? We'll discuss today. Hello, and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm Joel Cohen. Today, we're joined remotely by Professor Deborah Perlstein of Cardoza Law School, constitutional law expert. Professor, welcome to Talks on Law. Thank you for having me. Quick uh, background, how did you find your focus on national security issues? Actually, I had had no intention necessarily of embarking on a career in national security law. I went to law school for the purpose of studying constitutional law, civil rights, human rights, and I thought uh, that was going to be the focus of my work. And then very shortly after I graduated law school, 9-11 happened. And suddenly the cases that I had been working on, the few cases that I had so far, which were about asylum or speech uh, or privacy suddenly all had a 9-11 related, a counterterrorism related focus, either because the law itself actually changed, as it certainly did in the immigration context, or because it was just impossible to litigate or have a conversation about the wisdom of various provisions of the Constitution without this overlay of what are the counterterrorism implications as well. And that got me working rather quickly for a nonprofit that said, you know, what we want to do is set up a group that can focus on the human rights impact of U.S. national security policy. And what I ended up doing there was working a lot with members of the defense and intelligence communities in the United States to figure out how it was that there came to be such a disconnect between what the United States was doing in the early days post 9-11 in its counterterrorism efforts uh, and what, in my view, um, the law required. You know, we spoke a little before we hopped on camera. You have actual experience in the White House. I do. I do. Before I went to law school, even, um, I was a political writer and I had the opportunity to be a speechwriter for President Clinton uh, back in the 90s. So that was an extraordinary opportunity. And while not in a legal capacity at all, gave me a fascinating window into the operation of the executive branch in the White House in particular. Professor, what is the Defense Production Act and when and perhaps why was it established? Sure. The Defense Production Act is a big statute passed by Congress. It has its roots in World War II when the United States was working hard to ramp up domestic production to meet the needs uh, of the troops and the military on the war front. Uh, But the current version of the statute was enacted in 1950 in around the Korean War. And the idea of the statute was to give the government a set of powers to both provide loans and incentives to domestic corporations and producers to help them ramp up production very quickly and to enable the United States to get private companies to prioritize government contracts. So if you're a missile manufacturer and you have contracts with a variety of places, including overseas purchasers, the Defense Production Act gives the federal government the power to say, no, you have to fulfill the U.S. government contract first. Are there any notable historic examples where it was used perhaps 
controversially or to great effect? So uh, the most common way in which it's used, and it's used regularly and has been sort of since its passage, has been in defense contracts, defense industrial contracts, to say the United States government is contracting with a domestic company to purchase something it needs from missile systems to construction materials. And it includes under its Defense Production Act authority in order to the company that it prioritize federal contracts, that defense contract over other contracts that the company might have. That's the most common way in which it's used. We were talking of a wartime scenario, the government coming in and saying, we need your steel in order to build tanks. Do they also have the power to set the price of that acquisition? So under the original versions of the Defense Production Act, under earlier versions, it gave the government the power to impose wage and price controls, to control prices that the industry was charging for whatever the good was that it was producing. Those had the potential to be and were at times more controversial, but they no longer exist in the act and they haven't been part of its powers for a while. Its most recent uses in recent decades have been much less controversial and mostly under the radar. So is this just a way that in times of crisis or war, we're sure that the army or the armed services have the resources they need? It was never about the U.S. government seizing and operating private corporations. It never afforded the U.S. government that power. What it allowed, it allowed a bunch of things, but what it fundamentally allowed the government to do was to harness the strength of U.S. industry and tell it to fulfill the needs of the U.S. government first before it met any other needs. Now, that might have been fine with the companies who were subject to the orders, but it could create problems with the other customers who were of those companies who were now in a lengthy line or a much longer line waiting for their contracts to be fulfilled. For that reason, the act eventually provided antitrust and other forms of corporate protection. So the corporations who were fulfilling orders under Defense Production Act authority couldn't be sued by their other contract partners for failure to fulfill in a timely way the contracts that they had with those companies. The central question of controversy, though, was and remains the issue that arose during the Trump administration, which was the sense by the Trump administration and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce that even though this wasn't seizing industry in any way, it was in some respect limiting it or telling it what to do. And for those who believe in a sort of unfettered free market, that's the great challenge of this act, because it certainly does give the government power to say, we want you to put our priorities first. And I, I think we'll get to that a little bit more later as well. It's called the Defense Production Act. We've talked about it in relation to wars in its creation. How does it, how can it be used with regard to fighting a virus? That's a great question. So over the years, the Defense Production Act has been amended repeatedly. Um, one of the largest set of amendments, recent amendments, was in 2009, where the definition of what counts as the defense needs of the United States under the act was broadened to encompass not only traditional defense needs, traditional U.S. military needs, but also concerns of domestic preparedness, homeland security, emergency response. And in more recent years, it has been used to deal with emergencies in the United States, including 
hurricanes um, and, and other forms of natural disaster recovery. The idea here is that public health emergencies are included in the kinds of domestic threats and domestic emergencies that the act under its new definition is defined to address. Are there any key limitations? Can the Defense Production Act be employed at any time? Can it be employed in any way? The Defense Production Act can in theory be deployed at any time, but it can't be deployed in any way. So there are several specific powers that the Defense Production Act delegates to the president and the president has in turn delegated those powers by executive order to various agencies. The maybe two most important sets of powers that the Defense Production Act delegates is one called the prioritization and allocation authority. This is the power that allows the federal government to say in a contract with a private company, you have to prioritize U.S. government contracts over any other contract you might take. And it also gives the federal government the power to say, you need to allocate what you're producing under this contract in the following place. The notion is this will help us get the needed goods to the place, the person, the company where they are needed most when they are needed. The other major kind of powers that the Defense Production Act affords the federal government are in the form of the power to give loans or loan guarantees or other sort of financial incentives to help companies come up to speed to ramp up their production capacity, for example, in a shorter period of time. And those are authorities that tend to be less controversial than, to the extent there's any controversy, the, the prioritization and allocation authority. But they also give the government a really important tool to enable private industry to meet its needs under extraordinary circumstances. It seems like it could be a very powerful tool. I'm envisioning the government requiring PPE companies to sell to states and the government first, or vaccine manufacturers to sell to states and the government first. Is that what's anticipated by this executive order? That was absolutely what was contemplated when people started talking about the Defense Production Act back in February, March, as the effects of the pandemic last year, as the reality of the pandemic became clear. And the Trump administration, in some very limited ways, used it for that purpose to accelerate production of um, protective equipment and medical supplies and that kind of thing in the early days of the pandemic to, again, a limited extent. The first use the Biden administration seems intent on using it for is to ensure that the supply line to Pfizer and Moderna, the companies that are capable of uh, manufacturing the vaccine, that those supply lines are eased up. So Moderna and Pfizer have indicated, Pfizer in particular, that they could produce and maybe get distributed vaccine even more, even faster, if there weren't supply chain difficulties. We can't get enough syringes. We can't get enough materials that we need to produce the vaccine um, at scale and in time. And the contemplated, or at least the first contemplated use, um, is to help clear up those supply chain problems in the production and distribution of the vaccine. So make sure that Pfizer can get first access to syringes while other companies in other countries even may not be able to. 
for example, right. Now we'll have to wait to see the specific terms of uh, the orders as they come out. The way the Defense Production Act Authority works is that the president orders, uh, and indeed the initial executive order that uh, President Biden issued directs the relevant federal agencies, so whether it's DOD or uh, the Department of Defense or Department of Homeland Security or Health and Human Services, directs the relevant agency to figure out what's needed and to engage in the relevant contracts or attach the relevant orders to U.S. government contracts as necessary. So the real action, uh, the real terms of these deals come from the agencies, and that's where we'll need to look to be able to evaluate exactly what it does. Have you looked at or, or given thought to how it would impact contractual obligations? Does it give companies cover? Can they say, look, I wanted to sell to you, but this is some type of exception. Yeah, absolutely. The terms of the act, in fact, provide an express um, exception from liability for companies who, in the service of complying with Defense Production Act orders uh, or demands, are therefore unable to either fulfill or timely fulfill the initial or the original contracts that they had with other purchasers. Oh, wow. So you can't be sued. You could be, I suppose, but you have a great immunity defense. Is there a concern about equity or fairness here? Is especially in a pandemic where one nation's uh, wins can be seen as a loss to another, um, and when herd immunity really needs to be global, is there concern that this may be seen as a tool for uh, an unequitable response? So that's a tough question. Every nation faces today those questions and that enormous challenge of global equity. Unsurprisingly, it is the wealthier, more advanced nations that are gaining access to vaccine first or among the first to gain access. And there's significant global distribution and equity issues, as you suggest. Those issues exist regardless. And the Defense Production Act is sort of one of the tools by which the United States can conserve its own resources, its own production resources, potentially against the interest and almost certainly against the interests of other countries who would also want Pfizer to fulfill their contracts first, for example. It's unquestionably one of the concerns that the act implicates. Could you envision a scenario where one of the pharma companies, Pfizer, had agreed to sell millions of doses to another country, and the United States came in and said, look, under the Defense Productions Act, we have the right to take first dibs on those doses. The United States could do that. My impression, so under the Defense Production Act, my impression so far is that that's not how the Biden administration seems poised to use it, but we don't know yet. Um, and that's an important uh, development to look for. A little bit on the mechanics on how the Defense Production Act works. If it's prioritizing an industry or, or a company or some type of production that's seen as necessary for the defense, who's paying? Is the government coming in and purchasing the supplies or are they, are they giving a priority card to a certain manufacturer and saying, use this to skip the line? Great. So usually the Defense Production Act is used in connection with government contracts. So the government is the buyer and it 
contracts as the government recently did to buy another 200 million doses of the vaccine from a particular company or companies. And then as part of the fulfillment terms of that contract, the company has to, for example, meet the US government contract demands first before it fulfills other needs. But that's not the only way in which it can be used. And in fact, it is possible to use the Defense Production Act prioritization power in private contracts. So for example, Pfizer, the manufacturer of one of the, the vaccines that's now in use in the United States, had asked, called on the Trump administration in the waning weeks of that administration to help it get its suppliers to fulfill its needs first, whether its needs were in materials they needed to manufacture that vaccine, in syringes needed to extract the vaccine from the production vials. And the Trump administration hadn't taken any action. That seems to be uh, one of the first things that will be done that we should expect to see here in the near term. And that might involve Defense Production Act orders to Pfizer suppliers right, under existing contracts that Pfizer has. What about in terms of pricing? If the government's coming in and, and purchasing, say, above uh, a previous buyer, do they have to add a, a certain sweetener to the price or are they coming in at the existing market price? So the Defense Production Act doesn't give the government any direct power to impose price controls or, or wage limits or, or provisions like that. The Defense Production Act earlier in its history, right, when it was first passed, certainly did have those powers attached. The modern Defense Production Act doesn't allow that sort of direct government control. On the other hand, the government is an enormous purchaser. Right? Most companies want to engage in a contract with the U.S. federal government. And there's no question by the effect of market forces in those circumstances that the federal government can have a significant effect on the market, including prices. So if Pfizer had a purchaser who wanted to purchase the same 200 million doses of vaccines at an even higher price, the Defense Production Act still has the power to compel Pfizer to fulfill the terms of its contract with the U.S. government first. Now, it doesn't have the power to set the terms of the U.S. government contract, right? But that would be done through negotiation between, for example, Pfizer and the U.S. government. For example, with Pfizer, the United States had an agreement for 100 million doses. Let's say another country, Mexico, had reached an agreement for additional millions of doses. Could the government use the Defense Production Act to step in and say, look, we want those doses that were actually allocated for another country? The Defense Production Act doesn't preclude any company from contracting with any other purchaser for its goods. Right. So Pfizer could certainly contract with another country or another entity to provide doses of vaccine. I'm sure it is doing exactly that. The question is the order in which it has to fulfill those contracts uh, or what the Defense Production Act changes is the order in which Pfizer has to fulfill those contracts. And, and the Defense Production Act allows the U.S. government to skip to the head of the line. I mean, I understand that we can jump the line, but let's say we've got our full 100 million dosage. Now we want more. Can we step in and take doses that were not contractually negotiated that were in fact promised to other countries? No, broadly speaking, right? There still has to be a, con a purchase contract, right? So 
we've gotten in this scenario, the United States has gotten its hundred million doses doses based on the contract that it negotiated um, and the terms that it applied. And now it wants to purchase another 50 million doses from Pfizer. It needs to enter into a purchase contract with Pfizer and it can impose on that contract uh, and we'll get it first. But there's another negotiating moment there uh, when Pfizer, for example, gets to set the price for fulfilling that next $50 million contract with the U.S. government. So is this something that companies are are having to calculate for when they're making a negotiation with the government? I'm envisioning, well, you may have X agreement, but the government could potentially, under the Defense Production Act, add new terms like an acceleration or priority uh, in terms of delivery. Well, again, this is true whether the Defense Production Act authority exists, whether the contract is with the federal government or even in various circumstances between private contracts, right? So this is a substantial authority given to the federal government that has the potential to implicate or to impact private contracts for defense-related supplies of all kinds. But usually it comes up in the context of government contracts for, for government purchases. You mentioned when we were talking, maybe it was off camera, that some of the companies that are actually involved in creating these much needed in high demand products are the same companies that have been advocating for more use of of this law. Why is that? Well, it's in Pfizer's interest, for example, to be able to meet as many contractual demands as it can. Pfizer profits from the sale of its vaccine. Now, there are limits to the extent that that's possible, but Pfizer wants to sell its product just like any other product and now has special incentives to sell it as well. So anything, any power that the U.S. government can deploy, whether it's loan guarantees to help it increase its production capacity on the front end or whether it's prioritization requirements that says fulfill ours first and then you can fulfill everybody else's, or even better from Pfizer's point of view, prioritization requirements that make sure that Pfizer's suppliers get Pfizer the material it needs first to manufacture its vaccine. Those are all things that ultimately redound to Pfizer's advantage. A quick pause for those attorneys listening for Sealy Credit. The code for this interview is 92291. Again, that's 92291. And now back to the interview. Before we get into the direction of the Biden administration, maybe you can take us back to the Trump administration. What use, if any, did President Trump make of the Defense Production Act? The Trump administration made surprisingly little use of the Defense Production Act, and it was one of the major criticisms of the administration from the beginning of the pandemic throughout the presidential election campaign that it didn't make greater use. As I mentioned before, organizations like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Trump administration itself viewed some of the Defense Production Act authorities, and in particular the prioritization and allocation authorities, as interfering with the rights of companies to sell exactly what they want to whomever they want on whatever terms uh, they wish, or that the market will bear in any event. But 
under the extraordinary circumstances, right, the administration used it in small ways and fairly haltingly to sort of help speed um, certain medical supplies over certain periods of uh, limited periods of time. One of the most significant uses of the Defense Production Act that the Trump administration made was to take a lot of the federal funds that were allocated for federal pandemic response by Congress and use them uh, to enter into contracts with traditional defense industrial suppliers. So not manufacturers of medical devices and medical supplies and protective equipment, but manufacturers of weapon systems and other traditional defense um, acquisitions. And the notion was that these companies were, like many companies in the United States, in a position of enormous economic strain as a result of the pandemic and, and the United States response to the pandemic. And the funds were intended to boost their economic fortunes and help carry them through what was otherwise going to be a thin period. But there are a lot of fair policy questions about whether that was the best use of those funds or the best use of the Defense Production Act during the period. Interesting. So it wasn't necessarily used to ramp up production of PPE or for the vaccine efforts. It was more of a a welfare program for military contractors? Well, it was used, again, in certain limited ways for production of medical supplies and other things that were essential to uh, the pandemic response effort. But the Defense Production Act Authority was also used to help boost defense production and traditional defense contracts in ways that weren't obviously related to pandemic response. Was there suggestions at the time that the administration should be stepping in, say, to to acquire N95 masks or adequate gloves for hospitals, that kind of thing? Absolutely, Uh, from virtually all corners. So there was no question that there was frustration in Congress and elsewhere, particularly in the medical community, that the administration wasn't making greater use of the act in order to get them the sort of supplies early in the pandemic that they desperately needed. Let's talk more about the Biden administration. This conversation was triggered by an executive order talking about the Defense Production Act. What use do you anticipate of the law in the current administration? So the Biden administration included the use of the Defense Production Act as part of its pandemic response plan, lengthy pandemic response plan that they issued on January 21st. And the first thing they contemplate doing with it is clearing up supply chain delays uh, to help accelerate vaccine production and distribution. That is what I expect we'll see first. We are, as we tape this, we don't know yet which, if any of those orders have been issued, um, but I would expect them to see them imminently if, if they're not already there. And how about to treat a shortage of supplies, say with a, a spike in, in infections later in the year? I wouldn't doubt at all that the Biden administration would contemplate invoking the Defense Production Act again to deal with a shortage of medical supplies or other pandemic-related needs. They don't seem to have any compunction against using it. Indeed, the Biden campaign was among the great critics of the Trump administration failing to make greater use of, of the act. Professor, let's talk about litigation with huge consequences, large sums of money and significant changes to contractual obligations. Should we expect significant litigation to follow? 
I would never rule out the prospect of a lawsuit under these circumstances, but in the short term, um, litigation doesn't seem hugely likely and successful litigation seems even less likely. The usage that the Biden administration seems to be poised to make of the Defense Production Act both fits comfortably within the scope of its statutory authority and broadly speaking is supported by some of the large industrial clients that are likely to be impacted by the use. Now, there may be unforeseen consequences and not everybody is happy with the federal government telling them if not what to do, then when to do it. But at the moment, there's no foreseeable, likely successful litigation on the horizon. Well, Professor Pearlstein, thank you for taking the time to join us today. And as this topic develops, maybe we'll reach out with some other questions. My pleasure. A quick codicil addendum to the prior conversation will share two additional interesting uses of the Defense Production Act. Uh, one is related to the mining of supplies required for high capacity batteries. Here we're talking about lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, and manganese. This was announced in March, at the end of March of 2022, and relates to what President Biden's administration referred to as unreliable foreign suppliers and the need for these materials in the defense of the nation, as well as for their use in clean technology. A second use of the Defense Production Act, perhaps on the other side of industry, here we're talking about baby formula. And there, the announcement on May 18th of 2022, the Biden administration announced the use of the Defense Production Act to prioritize the allocation of the ingredients used in, in baby formulas due to a nationwide shortage of those formulas. The announcement also included information on a new program that would help more efficiently get those supplies out to the public that was referred to as Operation Fly Formula. That was a quick update, and as always, thanks for watching Talks on Law. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting-edge interviews on the Talks on Law MCLE podcast.